0: Hello and welcome to the podcast on Emanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmanuelAG.com. You know what? All of a sudden, one day she wakes up. It's time. It's right there. It's her birthday. Her world is permanently changed. She's eight years old forever. You know I remember I mean many of you will remember the uh, when 911 uh, happened you know we woke up I mean I got a call and and uh, I had I interned in New York so it was real close to me, the, the city and everything at the time. And, and somebody says, somebody flew an airplane into the World Trade Center. I turned on the, you know, on the news. I was glued for the, rest of the, for the rest of the day, you know, watching that. My friends were up there. They watched the second tower fall from on top of their building over in Brooklyn. And so, I, I mean, I, I was glued to that. But all of a sudden, it was an ordinary day. I was going about my business. I was getting ready for to go do kids ministry. I was in the church at the time. And all of a sudden, with one event, the world changed forever. I mean, and those of you who remember it, the world really changed, man. America's changed. There, there. Since then, there has been a cloud of kind of oppression and, you know, intelligence gathering, all this stuff. A lot of our personal liberties have shifted. There was a shift that day. And many of us remember that who've been here. Somebody's car is being stolen. You might want to check on it <laughs> if that's yours You know, another one, uh, I'm so amused by this whole COVID pandemic that happened because the year was 2020, you know, 2020, like 2020 vision, you know, I'm thinking of all the cliches that preachers are going to do coming into 2020, the year of vision, the year of destiny, you know, and nobody saw it coming, you know, all they there. You get online, you can find all kinds of prophets out there, self-proclaimed prophets. There's all kinds. I'm not, I am not slamming the prophetic movement. I wouldn't do that. I believe in the prophetic movement, but nobody needs a prophet, you know, after the event. I didn't hear anybody prophesying that this would happen like it did. In fact, the prophecies I heard were after it started and they were saying it was going to end quickly, you know, and how long did it go? I mean, just be honest. They missed it. They missed it. But all of a sudden, you know, with this COVID, it changed our world forever. It did. So let me just ask you this, you know, well, we'll one more example. So far, we brought two kids into the world. And you all know we are counting down days. (laughs) But come on, one day, is this going to be time to go? And our life will be changed forever, permanently. But that's what it's like when God wants to bring something. So why couldn't a chapel service up in some Hodunk, kentucky town whatever be the catalyst that sparks what god wants to do could it could be couldn't it it's always you know you trace every move of god and it comes back to a person or a group of people who won't let go of god and we can be those people we can be those people Look, listen to Galatians chapter four, verse four. It says, when the fullness of time had come, listen to that phrase, when the fullness of time had come, what does that mean? After a really long time of waiting and expecting, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. When the fullness of time had come, you know, I, I think the devil, I, I think the devil knows this. I don't think the church knows this. The power of two or three of us actually coming together in agreement. The power there is when two or more people get together and say, we're going to pray, we're going to seek God, and we're going we're to see what he wants to do through us. We're going to lay ourselves before him and say, your agenda, Lord, not mine. Because, I mean, every time we come together, we have an agenda. We have an idea. I mean, part of my job is planning what's going to happen on Sunday mornings, right? We all have ideas and expectations, man. I want us to expect whatever he wants. I want us to expect whatever he's doing. And if it changes me, fine. If it messes up the program, fine. Sometimes we just need the program messed up, right? You know, so one ordinary Sabbath day, Jesus shows up in the synagogue in his hometown. And he goes up there and you can read this in Luke, verse, Luke chapter 4. And if you have your Bibles, in fact, open to Luke chapter 4 because this is the passage I want to uh, preach on today. We'll just stay there. But um, in verse 18, he, he gets up there and he reads these words, "'The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me "'to proclaim good news to the poor. "'He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives "'and recovering of sight to the blind, "'to set at liberty those who are oppressed, "'to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor.'" He rolls up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everybody in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say this. And this is what he said today. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing right now. I mean, they watched this. They watched him grow up. They knew his mama and his daddy. (laughs) You know, he came to town. He knew, he knew everybody. I mean, he grew up with these people. He knew, he knew what shopkeeper would cheat you, you know? He knew who was really good at carpentry. He knew what they were. He knew them personally, and they knew him. They knew his family. But this, he walks in there, and he says, today, this scripture, you guys have been reading this Isaiah passage for all your lives. And today, I'm telling you, it's happening right in front of you. But they wouldn't believe it. He's announcing the beginning of something. He's telling them what God is doing that will change your world permanently today, today. So I want to read this passage. If you have your Bible and you're in Luke chapter 4, jump up to Luke, uh, to verse 14 there and look at that. It says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. I love that phrase. He returned in the power of the Spirit. We're not going to get very far without the power of the Spirit. Okay? Jesus needed the power of the Spirit to do what he did right? If Jesus needed the Son of God, God in the flesh needed the power of the Spirit to do what He did. You and I desperately need the power of the Spirit to do what we're supposed to do. Amen? I mean, that's why He told the disciples, stay in the city. You're going to do this and this. You're going to go all over. You're going to preach. You're going to cast out demons. You're going to do all this stuff, but don't even leave the city until you're clothed with power. Stay there till you get it. Because you need, the the mission will not be successful without the power of the holy spirit in your life and on your life so anybody know where jesus was right before this if you look up in your bible what do you see it says he returned in the power of the spirit where was he right before this guess what he wasn't like you know just uh and I, he came back from an encounter with satan that's where he was you know, he, he had been tempted. He'd been fasting and he went to the, the spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I just want to tell you this. If you're seeking God, a, a good conflict with the devil actually can be the catalyst that launches you into the will of God. It really can be. Because what the devil means to destroy you, God can take that and use it to launch you. A conflict with the devil can be the spark that launches your ministry. brings you into alignment. I mean, you might not like that, but the devil's out there seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. You might as well use it as a stepping stone. Come on, right? It can be that thing that sets you on fire for him. It's how we respond in times of temptation, how we respond in times of resistance that'll make us or not. Because trouble comes to everybody. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation right? He said that, didn't he? That's not the Bible promise that you put on your refrigerator. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, what are the promises of Jesus? Tribulation. I'm going to quote that one 14 times a day. <laughs> God give me trouble. No, you don't. we don't want it, but it comes. But he says what? But be of good cheer. Take heart. Be encouraged. I've overcome the world. So we're going to go through some trouble in the world that he's overcome the world, <laughs> So Jesus is over there. He's been fasting in the wilderness. You know, he was led there by God. And I want to tell you the temptation of Jesus. The Bible says that he was tempted in every regard as we are, yet without sin. Okay? This temptation was real. It was serious. The pressure that he felt there to give in. To what the temptation was was more than you or I could ever imagine because he was tempted every way that we are yet without sin it wasn't just going through the motions it was a real temptation and he overcame and he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit and that's when his ministry his miracle ministry began I want to tell you this the devil overplayed his hand with Jesus for sure He did. You know, he promised Jesus the kingdoms of the world. What was that? That was a shortcut to what Jesus was sent to do. But I want to say this too. I believe that the devil has also overplayed his hand to this generation, this time we're living in, because he's promised this generation peace and fairness and equity. Come on, that's the words we're hearing all the time. But what has he actually delivered? Violence, perversion, and anxiety. He promised one thing, delivered another. And you know what? At the end of the day, the same power structures remain in control. They didn't topple anything. They preyed on the idealism of this generation and the innocence. And they tell them you need to go after fairness and equity and equality and all these things. They, they took advantage of that. But the people who are promoting that, they're not ideal, and they're not innocent. And they're the ones who remain in control. But what the devil has done is he has pushed this generation into seeking the face of God. Because we're fed up with the status quo. We're fed up with what's going on around us. And it's a shame that we have to come to this to get this fed up, but we need to be fed up. Come on, this is a Bible idea, being fed up, you know? It's not a bad thing to get fed up with what's what's going on around us. Because why? Because until you're fed up, you don't do anything. Whatever it takes to get you moving, to get you on your face before God, to get you out there talking to people, whatever it is, we've got to, at some point in our lives, we've got to say enough is enough, I'm fed up. And you know what? You find out that God honors that. That's not a problem with God. I mean, just look at Jesus and the apostles and Peter and Paul and the aggressiveness that they had in their life. God is not afraid of that kind of aggressiveness. He's just not. This, this inner peace thing, that that's Eastern religion. That's not Christianity. It's not. Think about it. That's been introduced to our culture through, for, through Eastern influence, that I just need to be at peace. Really? Read the book of Acts for crying out loud. They were even fighting with each other. And God still kept doing miracles. Why? Because it wasn't really about you. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about the word of God. And Satan was coming against two The word. He was trying to stop the word and the name. The power of God and the authority of God. Because they were out there preaching in the name of Jesus. Remember when they were meeting on the porch and, and, and they got arrested for healing that man in Jesus' name? They said, how'd you do this? And they said, well, if you're asking us a question about how a poor cripple got healed, know this, it was the name of Jesus. It means the authority of Jesus that this man got healed. That's what they said. And they said, what'd they do? They, they you know, they arrested them, they beat them and all this. And what did they tell them to do? Stop preaching in the name of Jesus. They really didn't care about anything else. I mean, if they would have just stopped the name of Jesus, they, they would have probably helped them do anything else they wanted to do. They're probably just happy for the activity in the temple. (laughs) But Satan was against one thing, the name of Jesus and the word of God. Remember the sower we talked about last week? What does the devil come to take? That word, that word that was sown. Why? Because if that thing ever comes to fruition, man, he's done. He's done. You know, this revival has been going on, I don't know how many, 10, 11, 12, 14 days. I bet you the devil hadn't slept for 14 days. Because of the potential of what this could become. Jesus knows a little bit about peace and fairness and equity. Jesus does. That was his ministry in many ways that represents the kingdom of heaven. Don't fall for the counterfeit that the world is giving right now. You know, I heard on the radio a couple of weeks ago, and I was quite surprised. Anybody, um, I'm not coming against a specific brand or anything, but this was in the news. You know that Simply Orange juice? Simply Orange that's bottled by Coca-Cola. I didn't know that. And they were being sued. There was a lawsuit against them because they found out their name says Simply Orange, or Simply Orange, which implies that it's all natural, simple ingredients, but there's some, like, bad stuff in it that, that it causes cancer, I think. I don't know exactly. but So they brought a, a lawsuit against them because uh, what was in there is not what they were representing on the label. Come on, you can put a label on anything, but that doesn't change what's on the inside, right? And the devil puts this label on this movement and says, this is about peace and fairness and equity and everybody getting along. Just because he put the label on there, what's, what's actually being delivered to our culture today. More hatred, more violence, more stress, more perversion than we've ever seen before. So don't fall for the label. They promise us equity as they rule over you. Do you know where to find equity? I'll tell you exactly where to find equity, at the foot of the cross. That's where you find equity Why? Because Jesus died for all Right? See they're promising you Some kind of freedom And they're making you A slave to sin But Jesus comes to set you free Right? For the love of Christ Controls us Because we have concluded this That one has died for all Therefore all have died This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 This is a great little passage Of scripture here We've concluded that One has died for all Therefore all died And since he died for all, that those who live right might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So he died for me. I should have died myself. He died for me. Now I live for him. Listen to verse 16. This is crazy. From there on, therefore, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him Thus no longer. i tell you what, we regard no one according to the flesh. That ought to end any kind of racism right there. Think about it. Because if you're in Christ, I regard you as being in Christ. (laughs) Come on, that makes us all the same. That makes us all in need of a savior, in need of his grace and planted in him, having been found in him with the righteousness that's not my own, but the righteousness that he's given to me. Next verse, you know it well. For if anyone is in Christ, he is what? New creation, a new creation. The old has gone. Man, it doesn't matter. God, it doesn't matter what we were. God has something new for all of us in him. It's a new way of living. And I'm telling you what, you know, I've, 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 uh, uh, I've, (laughs) you <laughs> I've thought about this a lot over the years, and one of the things that makes the go- the gospel of God culturally relevant to all cultures. If you think about it, I mean, we're dealing with these issues in our culture today. You know, we're talking about inequity and and not and and uh, um, you know racism and all these different things. You see what's going on in our culture today, but understand the gospel has been relevant for many cultures for many generations. Why is it so relevant for so many cultures and so many generations? The answer is because it equally demands that all cultures bow their knee and submit to the kingdom of god when we come into the kingdom of god we leave behind who we were and we embrace this kingdom life i'm here to live a new creation life and we need to be careful because we're all guilty of it a little bit making it in my image according to my preferences but that's not what it is. We need to surrender ourselves and enter into true kingdom life. That's God's answer for what's going on. That's true equity. True equity. They promise fairness and justice, but the justice that we're seeing out there is really just thug justice. Think about it. It's one group trying to get power over another group. That's, you know, that's what you see the gangs do, right? Pressure power to dominate somebody and what does jesus say in luke 22 for who twenty two twenty seven? for who is greater the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves is it not the one who reclines at the table but i am among you as the one who serves look at jesus's heart look at his attitude i am among you as the one who serves do you want to speak with heaven's authority do you want devils to obey you when you speak then you need to be as one who serves. Because if you're trying if you're not serving with the servant heart, you're not representing Jesus. Have this mind, it's Philippians 2, 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. That's risky to do to, toward people, you know, to say, I'm willing to serve you. I'm willing to empty myself and make myself your servant. It's risky because people take advantage of you. They do. It's very risky. And here's what happens. They either They either love you or they crucify you. <laughs> and they crucified him. But he's called us to walk in that same pattern of love and laying down ourselves, laying down our lives to serve one another. We should be competing to see who could be the biggest servant. God really needs us, the church, his body, to embody these things, to live them out among us. Because they are the real and they are the genuine. It's not a fake label. It's the real deal. You know, you know, when you have the real stuff, you don't need to necessarily put a label on there. It stands on its own merit. I remember, Remember the anybody remember the Antiques Roadshow? Um, it was really interesting. One time this guy comes and he brings a violin and inside the violin was a label by a very famous violin maker. And so he came to get it appraised and you know he thought he really had something. And uh, they looked at it and they said, this is a very nice violin, but this violin was not made by this maker. They could tell by the way it was made that it was not his work. And they said what they do is they would take a label out of a legitimate violin and put it in a cheaper one and pass that off as the real. Well, the real one stands by its own merit, by its own value. Isn't that interesting? So you didn't need the label on the good one because you could look at the work and the time time period and the other things and determine whose it was. We don't need to worry about labels all the time. Man, the church so many for so many years has been worried about labels and I'm, you know, is this and pastor this and and bishop this. And God doesn't care about labels. He cares about us being the genuine article. You know, if you're a prophet, you'll have the fruit of the prophet in your life. You don't have to tell everybody you're a prophet. There's a lot of prophets out there who got really nice signs and websites. But if the fruit of the prophets in their life, you'll know. If you're a pastor, you'll have the fruit of a pastor in your life. If you're an evangelist, you'll have the fruit of evangelism in your life. We don't need to slap a label on you today. Let the fruit show you the world who you are. When we embody these things and we, and we live this way among us, it gives the world a taste of what heaven is like, what the kingdom of God is like what it's going to be like when Jesus actually steps down here and starts to root out evil and rule. You want to know about equity and fairness and peace, man. It's going to be great for those who actually get to be in the kingdom. How sad for those who our hearts are yearning for that and longing for it and have bought the counterfeit off the shelf instead. And as a result, they've rejected him and they'll never get to know him on that day. It's not just because God wants us to live this way because he wants us to have peace and happiness. He wants us to live this way so that we can demonstrate his kingdom to the world so that people can know him through his body. You know, how many of you know he went to heaven, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high and said, you go in my name. We're supposed to be representing him. Back to Luke chapter four. Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. The report about him went out through the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues and he was glorified by all. Verse 16, he comes to Nazareth. This is where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. This is the tradition. You stand up to read, you sit down to teach, okay? So he stands up, he gets the prophet, he stands up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled it and found the place where it was written. I just read this a minute ago, but I'm going to read it again in context. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. That word right there, the spirit has anointed me. That's the same root word that you find in the word for Messiah or Christ. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. So he's reading this. this the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. This is a messianic passage from the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> and he says, he has anointed me. What first to proclaim the good news to the poor. Come on. God has a heart for the poor. God has a real heart for the poor. Nobody should have to pay to hear the gospel. There's no expense incurred to hear the gospel. Come on, we probably need to rethink some of the ways we talk about money because on the outside, people think all we're about is money because the church talks about money so much. I'm telling you what, we probably should be doing a lot more to be honest with you with our money. You know, I was listening to a um, a uh, old recording. You know, Lester Summerall, died in, I think, 96. So, it's this, I don't know when he recorded this, but it was older than 96. But, uh, I mean, I love his aggression, his attitude. I mean, they were, he bought a C-5 cargo plane. He was the first civilian to buy a C-5 cargo plane so they could send relief and, and, and help other people in other countries. You know, they had ships and things that they would take and they would I mean, he said, boy, that day of sending your missionary, your one little lady over there with the track telling people about Jesus is over. It's, you know, if you've ever listened to him, you know, he's real aggressive. It's, we're taking nations. We're going into the presidents and we're saying, bow your knees, you know, and, and leading them into the salvation. And, and uh, they did a lot all over the world. Now, as far as I know, they still do. I don't, I don't follow them since he's passed, but um, we could be doing a lot more. What an opportunity we have to be givers into things that matter. And some of us, we need to start them because you don't always know, you know, you got to pray and find the ministries that are doing something and give, but we need to keep people out there. We need to keep people speaking and preaching and in those places where we can't go, we need to supply them and we need to do whatever it takes to help them we need to do more. We need to be givers above and beyond. We really do. But on the other hand, when people come in here, they should not be battered about money and giving money and, and all that. I, I even heard, I heard in this town, in a church service, a man who was a preacher, who was an evangelist, bragging about this. He was bragging. This was a good thing in his mind. And he said, I was having an altar call, and a man came forward to get prayer for healing, and he claimed that he could heal people. And he said, he came forward for healing. He said, and I asked him, where do you tithe? Do you tithe to me? He said, no, so go back to your church and get... That's not the spirit of Jesus. And we've let that kind of ridiculousness go on for too long. We need to support our churches. We need to support our missions. And we can do more. But this idea... This idea that somehow I give God 10% and I get to keep 90% is not found in the New Testament anywhere. It's just not. When you came to Jesus, you gave everything or you didn't come to Jesus. He told the rich young ruler, one thing you lack, go sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. He didn't even say give it to me. Oh, give it to Judas over there. He'll take care of your assets. (laughs) He said, give it to the poor Then follow me. And the man went away sad. And what were the disciples' reaction? Lord, we left everything to follow you. And they did. They left their boats. They left their nets. Matthew left his tax collector's booth. They left everything to follow him. Even Zacchaeus. Remember what he said, Lord, today I'm giving half of everything I own to the poor. And if I've wronged everybody, I'm going to pay it back four times. And what did Jesus say? Today, salvation has come to this house. God's not asking for a little token. He's not asking for us to attend a church service. He's asking for our lives. Everything I've got, my time, my resources, everything. And when he has your heart, he'll have your money. He's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. We need to take the price tags off the gospel. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and liberty to those who are oppressed. Is this, you know, physical? Is this spiritual? There's no difference to God between the physical and the spiritual. The same sacrifice that paid for your bodily healing is the one that redeemed you from hell and rescued you from Satan's kingdom. It's the same. The blood that was shed, the stripes that were, it was all one event. Same sacrifice, paid for it all. The peace for your mind. But listen to how he says it. He sent me to proclaim. He sent me to proclaim It's a proclamation. It's authority. That's what the kingdom of heaven was about. That's what the gospel is. It was a proclamation and a demonstration. And that's what Jesus went around doing, proclaiming and demonstrating. They're the same to Jesus. You know, he healed a blind man's eyes and then he went and told those who weren't blind, you're blind spiritually, (laughs) didn't he? Yeah. (laughs) He went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him healing all who are oppressed. He set the oppressed free. These are the things that Jesus stands for. And these are the things that we're supposed to be about as a church. You know, there's a lot of talk out there about, you know, oh, we need to get the churches together. And we do, man, we need, we shouldn't be divided. But if we're going to come together, these are the things that we come together on right here. The platform of Jesus, because this is what we're supposed to be doing. I don't have time to do every activity out there that everybody comes up with, but if there's a church or if there's a person doing this, man, we'll work with them. And then verse 19, he says, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, it's really interesting about this and you may know this, but if you go back into the book of Isaiah and read what he's quoting, where he's quoting from, he stopped in the middle of, you know, they didn't have verses like they didn't have it broken into verses like we do. But he stops right there at a comma in the English. It's at a comma because the very next line that's on his eyes is this uh to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. <laughs> that's the next thing. And he stops short of proclaiming the day of vengeance. Why? Because it's hey, the day of vengeance is coming. But right now we are living in that comma the year of the Lord's favor. And he's holding the door open for all who will come in, who will come in, all who will repent, who will repent. And we're waiting because that day is coming. Isaiah's words are not going to fall to the ground. But the first time Jesus came, he says, I'm here to proclaim a new era, the era of God's grace. And I love it. He says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor in the Isaiah passage and the day of vengeance of our God. Look, favor lasts for a year, but vengeance lasts for a day. (laughs) Look at God's heart, man. He, He does not have pleasure in judging and destroying. He doesn't. And if you hate people, man, you don't know the spirit of God. I hate I hate the sin, man. I hate what our culture is. But when I allow that to cause me to look at people and hate them, I that is not the spirit of God in me. He delights in mercy. So he stops at a comma. And we're still living in that time period today that comma that's lasted 2000 years. The day of vengeance is coming, but right now, today, the favor It's the year of favor. It's the grace of our God that's here. Verse 20, he rolls up the scroll, he gives it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all this, everybody in the synagogue, are fixed on him. So. So far, so good. Stood up to read. Scroll goes back, sits down. Now he's going to teach, right? We're doing okay so far. Verse 21, but it's about to get ugly. (laughs) Verse 21, he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words, which are coming from his mouth. And they're like, isn't this Joseph's son? I'm telling you, they knew his daddy. They knew where he grew up. They knew his family. Look, they knew him after the flesh. I just read that in, in uh, Corinthians, right? We, we knew Christ after the flesh at one time, but now we don't know him after the flesh any longer. They knew him after the flesh, and every time you know somebody after the flesh, even if it's Jesus, you're going to be offended. And so Jesus, he goes on. I mean, he should have stopped there. you should, you would have stopped there. (laughs) He's like, he knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were looking for. And he says to them in verse 23, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have read, what we have heard that you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Now, remember, Jesus lived in Capernaum. And you remember the verse we just read that he came back in the power of the Spirit and he was going through the villages. Now, this is something I learned in studying this. You remember in, um, in um, Matthew and Mark where Jesus was, went to his hometown of Nazareth and they rejected him. And it says they, he could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief, right? Okay. Well, this is why. Um, this is Luke presents it earlier in his narrative, but he sums up his ministry through that area, through the villages there of Galilee in a single verse. And so when Jesus comes to his hometown village, Luke decides to put it, Early in the gospel, obviously for theological reasons, but you can still see it fits the timeline. So Jesus comes back to his hometown, uh, and whereas Matthew and Mark are, are very nice and low key, just says he couldn't do any mighty works there. And Mark adds, uh, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. But Luke gives us a little more of the detail. They're actually trying to push him off of a cliff. You know, it's hard to have a revival meeting when somebody's trying to push you off a cliff. <laughs> not only did they reject him they didn't come they actually were trying to push him off the cliff that the town was built on so i think i got ahead of myself but look at this so this is presented early in luke he had been doing miracles already in capernaum and other villages and they heard about it and they're just sitting there show me something you know what i'm saying show me something there's people who who are running up to to kentucky saying show me and I'll tell you what, they're going to leave, and they're not going to get anything. It's not. I shouldn't say that. Sometimes God's big, and people go in there and get hit with the Holy Spirit. Boom, man, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. But that attitude is not, you, you, when, you, when you have that attitude, you're getting something in spite of you, not because of you. <laughs> Let me say it like that. Let me say it like that. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. So they're sitting there saying, yeah, show me this. And so he goes on in verse 24. He said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows. He starts going on about the prophets Elijah and Elisha. And uh, so he says, there's many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. In verse twenty-seven, there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. What's Jesus doing here? He's identifying himself with Israel's prophets. Okay, that's what he's doing. A couple of interesting things about Israel's prophets—they always seem to show up in the time of Israel's rebellion. Is there any Old Testament prophet book is like, you know, thus saith the Lord? Y'all are doing perfect. <laughs> No need for change. I like how you're doing this and this and this and this. (laughs) The prophets showed up during the time of Israel's rebellion. And listen to this. When Israel's prophets were active, it wasn't Israel who benefited, but the heathen nations around. During the famine, Elijah goes to help one widow. And she's not a Jewish widow. Undoubtedly, in the time of famine, there was plenty of Jewish widows. He goes and helps one woman who's not a Jewish widow. Elisha, he didn't cure any of Israel's lepers. Who did he? Who did he cure? Yeah, the official in the enemy's army. Yeah, Syrians, their enemy. Okay, no doubt. This is not the message they wanted to hear. Jesus was. Israel's God is rescuing the wrong people. <laughs> and Jesus is telling them that. And they're not going to hear it. They're going to drive him off the cliff. And his rejection there at Nazareth only prefigured his rejection by the whole nation. Because that's what eventually happened. When the, the own priests and the leaders of that nation were the ones who condoned his death on the cross. John 1:11 says, He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But verse 12, come on, this is where it gets good for us. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So verse 28, back to Luke 4, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff but passing through their midst, they, he went away. Just understand here for just a minute the big picture of what's going on. First, Jesus is identifying himself with Israel's prophets because, you know, Moses prophesied that a prophet would come, and Jesus is basically signaling a I'm the prophet. I am among the prophets. I'm the prophet that is to come. So that's number one. Number two, he's announcing the beginning of a new era, a new time period, a new age, an age of grace and favor that's coming. He's saying what you have heard about that is coming, it's here now. It begins, it's happening right in front of you and you get to see it. Why couldn't this thing move up in Kentucky be a legitimate. We're praying for it, man. Do you really believe that what you're praying for, you're going to see with your eyes while you're still here? Come on, how many of you guys have different things you've been praying for, you've been seeking God for? I want you to imagine you really seeing that come to pass in your life. Because we can get so used to praying and we put it off, we put it off, put it off. That's why I'm very careful with language about what God is going to do. I really get tired of being in a church service. No matter how much I like the preacher and how energetic the the worship is, I get tired about hearing about what God is gonna do because gonna never comes. And we get used to that. And Jesus says, today is the day of salvation. Now, right now. So it's time to walk in what he's provided. Come on, did Jesus go to the cross? Yes or no? When did he already do it? So it's past tense as though he did it already. So, so from heaven's perspective, he's already provided what we need to walk holy and live in relationship with God. So let's step into it today. Shall we come on? I mean, I love the fact that that revival is going on because people's expectancy are up. They're going up there because they want to see something today right now it's happening now let's go for it i'm telling you what it's already happened we can walk into it now if we will just be have that level of i'm not going to take no for an answer You remember the Syrophoenician woman and Jesus was, you know, I don't know exactly what was going on in his mind when he said it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to their dogs. That's pretty, that's that's a pretty insulting statement. It wouldn't melt the snowflakes today. You wouldn't take it very well. I wouldn't take it. I wouldn't take it very well. But I don't, I don't know, you know, that Jesus just wasn't playing with her and bringing her to a point where she could realize what she was standing for. Because, you know, the other official, if he was a Gentile, Jesus didn't hesitate. He was just like, oh, I'll go heal him. So Jesus wasn't withholding. He was bringing her to a point where she could, you know, articulate her belief perhaps. But I love the fact that she wouldn't take no for an answer. And she comes back with, with you know, <laughs> Yeah, even the dogs get the crumbs, Lord. <laughs> even the dogs get the crumbs. And it just, that just blessed him. And he said, Go on. Yeah, you're, the demon has left your daughter. That woman with the issue of blood pushing through, she wouldn't take no for an answer. And this is okay with God. Come on. He wants us to say, We well, look at these promises right here. He's made them available. I'm going to go after them. I'm going to have them in my life no matter what it takes. And no devil in hell is going to stop me. So he's announcing this time of uh, grace and favor. And number three, he's identifying himself as Israel's Messiah by quoting this messianic passage and applying it to himself. He's telling them, no questions asked, (laughs) I'm the one you're waiting for. And they're like, this is Joseph's son, there's no way it's you. (laughs) And they wanted to push him off a cliff. They rejected him right there. But it couldn't be a plainer, couldn't be plainer. There's a psalm that speaks about a table in the wilderness um, that that, uh, actually the Israelites were challenging him because they were out in the wilderness and they're like, could God make a table in the wilderness? And yes, he did, time and time again. He put gushed water out of the rock. He sent them manna from heaven. He sent them quail. He kept on providing for them over and over and over. And if you'll remember Psalm 23, it says, you prepare a table before me where in the presence of my enemies... Now, who wants to eat there? Are you thinking, you know, uh, where do you want to go to eat after church? I'm going to go over here to this restaurant because there's somebody, there's a waitress there and she hates my guts. <laughs> That's not where you would go because you wouldn't know what she'd do to your food. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I mean, who wants to eat in the presence of your enemies? But still, there are enemies all around us. And even in the middle of the craziness of this world, he wants to prepare a table for you. Mm -hmm. Jesus is offering us a table. But when he went to his own town in Nazareth, those who should have been eating from that table rejected it. We have the option too. We can eat from his table. Or we can reject it I want to read just three verses here in closing I want to read them together Okay Titus 2, 11 and 12 For the grace of God Has appeared bringing salvation For all people Somebody say all people Training us to renounce ungodliness And worldly passions and to live self-controlled Upright and godly lives In this present age See right now in this age In this present age Grace teaches us to live upright and godly lives. But it says it brings salvation. He brings salvation for all people. (laughs) And what captures me with that is the grace of God has appeared. He has already proclaimed the grace of God. He has already declared the grace of God. The grace of God is already available right now as we speak for all people. Okay? Second, cha- second verse. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Look, this is important. This is something that God wants the church to be doing. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving for all people. It goes on, verse two, we should be praying for governmental authorities. We don't have kings today, but it says for kings and all who are in high position. Why? That we may lead a peaceable and quiet life, godly and dignified in any way. If we will seek God and pray for him, he will allow whatever government structure we have to live under anywhere in the world to help us to live this life that he's called us to. That's why we're praying for it, okay? Um, Verse 3, this is good, it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, this is important. First of all, the grace of God appeared to all, and he desires all people to be saved. That means, in spite of whatever else is going on right now in the world around us, that God has already made provision for you and me to have a personal revival today right? I mean, what's the ingredient? What's required? The grace of God has appeared to all people, right? He wants us to be saved. He's inviting us to come. He set the table. He's saying, come. Come. It's ours, man. It's ours. Hebrews 3.15, my last one. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebel. You know, that's what happened when they refused to enter into what God had for them. They refused to enter into the promised land. And he's saying today, Jesus came and he said, all these things that you were hoping for, all these things that you were expecting, today, they're coming on the earth. And he says, today, we're living in this, you know, the comma. We're living in the comma, the 2000, you know what that, you know what I call that comma, that time, today, today. That time period is the time period called today. Because today, these things are being fulfilled right in front of us as we watch. As we watch. And you know what? I don't want to be a person on the sideline. I want to be in the middle of it, right? Don't you want to be right in the middle of what he's doing? I know I do. So let me just get the band to come up and just get a song ready. I'd be very happy to pray for any needs that there may be in the house as we just, uh, I want to close with just a time of worship. I'd be very happy to pray for any needs, but I just want to say this. There is a table in the wilderness, in the presence of your enemies, that God has prepared for you and for me. Here you go, Kaylee, you can have it. There is a table that God has prepared for us. And nobody can go to the table for you. You go there yourself. And just, I just want to, whatever song you've got, I just want to take a moment. I just want to worship. I just want to listen to God. And I just want to invite you at this time just to seek him and partake of that eat at his table.